It's good to see everybody here tonight. I told some of them out there singing. They said, how long are you going to go? I said, you better pack a lunch. So that, there you go. That's a, that's a clue. Uh, before we get started, um, Miss Jean Young is going to have knee surgery on Tuesday. Um, I didn't hear if that was announced tonight, but I don't think it was announced this morning. I don't think it was announced in our classes. Um, Brother Ken is still not doing well. He's struggling at home. And uh, those of you that are really good at cards, I'm kind of asking you to make a little effort this week and send them a card if you don't care. And uh, uh, some of you that uh, are good at uh, support system and uh, maybe foods or something like that, kind of keep them in mind toward the end of the week as she's able to get back home. And let's keep in touch with them and see what we can do to help them. And um, we're very good at that in this congregation. So I wanted you guys to be aware of that. Okay, so as we get started tonight, I'm going to tell you a little story and this is a story about me. It's my favorite kind of stories. Stories about me. But anyway, this story starts, uh, I bought me a lawnmower about a year and a half, well, 15 months ago, something like that. And I've been using this really good lawnmower. Starts easy, first pull. It's got this little lever that you pull back, and you just crank it one time, and it's going. It mows, and it does good. And I got a little behind on my mowing. And um, Monday or Tuesday... I decided I better ca get caught up. I had a little time. So I pulled my mower out and I got out there, cranked it one time. Sure enough, it started right up. I went about two or three swipes at it and boom, quit. Now, I thought, well, this has never happened before. So I tried it, tried it, and it wouldn't work. And I got down and looked at it like you're supposed to do, you know, look at it like you know what's wrong. And I didn't know what was wrong. I thought if I wait a while, maybe it'll start and it wouldn't start. So I put it back in the, my building tried it the next day and it wouldn't start so I thought well this is gonna take more than I can do or want to do and so uh, Thursday uh, afternoon I took my mower to the shop and when I got to the shop and they said you know what's wrong and I said well I kind of think it's in this little little bar you pull back and when you pull it and it won't start because it seems like when I tinker with it a little that maybe it tries to fire but I can't I can't keep this bar back. Anyway, it won't, it won't work right. So I kind of had that, and I thought that would be really helpful to them to know what I've already assessed. Anyway, so she said, well, we'll let you know. And they called me Saturday, right before lunch. And she said, we close at lunch. And I said, well, I'm going to try to come get it. So I went. I got in there. I was ready to get my lawnmowers, ready to go back and mow my yard, had a little time. And so I walk up to the counter, and she uh, makes me wait a little bit, but that's okay because I'm in a great mood. And then she takes uh, this paper, you know, this copy of the receipt, and she lays it down before I even get to look at it. She said, let me just tell you, she said, that oil in there was nasty. That oil in that mower was so dirty. My husband, when he cleaned that out, he said, that was terrible, nasty. And she said, uh, you need to keep that clean. You've got to keep that serviced. And I, I said, well, kind of, you know, I don't know how you would be, but I've been mowing for a long time. I've been mowing since I was a little boy. And, and I've... I've run a lot of mowers in the ground, by the way. <laughs> I've had a lot of mowers that went a lot more miles than that one, and the oil got a lot dirtier than that before they fell apart. But I didn't say that. But I did manage to say, uh, well, ma'am, I don't really want to argue with you, but I pulled that dipstick out, and that oil looked pretty clean to me. And she just kept going. Well, that oil was dirty. That filter was dirty. 
She said, you've got to take care of that. She said, that, that lawnmower is over a year old, and if you haven't changed that oil in it, well, it's got to be done. You've got to service that thing. If you want to stay running, it's, it's... So I didn't say anything else. I took my mower. I went out. She walked out with me. She said, you want some help putting that in your van? I said, nope. I said, I got it. I picked it up, started putting it in there. I turned around. And I said, thank you very much for fixing my mower. She said, okay. Keep it serviced. I shut the door, I got in the car, and I went home. That's my story. But we're not through. Now, here's what's going to happen tonight. This is the cool part, okay? Um, we're going to read from the Bible, and, and we're going to read a story. And when, you, when we get finished, you're going to think it's like almost the same story. It's crazy. Uh, we've got two readers here that are going to read this story. First, we're in 2 Kings chapter 5, if you want to follow along. Sutton and Rhett, come on. Both of you, come on. Come on, Rhett. Y'all pay attention to this story. Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who was from the king who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised when this letter comes to you that I have sent Naban my servant to you that you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, Am I a god to kill and make alive that this man sends a, sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord, his God, wave his hand over the spot, and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you have not done it? How much more then, when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down 
dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And the flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. What do you think? It's almost identical, isn't it? When you listen to that, it's crazy how close to the, those, those stories are to each other. Well, except for, except for Naaman, he rode in a chariot, and I drive a, a Chevy van. But other than that, it's pretty close. Well, except for that Naaman, he's, he was rich and important, and I'm not really that. And, and you know, I guess then uh, Naaman... He had leprosy, and I just had a sick lawnmower. But other than that, you know, there's really not much that's the same, is there? You got me figured out. Here's one thing, though. There's one thing in both stories that's similar. And when you think about Bible stories, and when you think about stories of our life today, there's always kind of one thing that's, that's similar that we need to be looking for. Human nature. The human nature that you see in the story of Naaman is, is very, very similar to the human nature that you see in my story. There's some different stakes involved and, and, and some things like that, but you know when we think about these stories in the Old Testament, when we think about stories in the New Testament, when we think about the parables that Jesus taught and the, and the things, if we can't see ourselves in those, we're missing something. And so I told my story to tell you the story of Naaman and here's what I want you to look for. I want you to look for human nature, and I especially want you to look for the, the human nature side of pride. We all know when we read the story of Naaman that, that his big deal was pride. We know that he was a very important man, and he was, and he was a wealthy man, and he was well thought of. We also know he had leprosy, and the Bible tells us that he wanted that cleansed, and this little, this little servant girl who had been uh, captured... Uh, and brought to them. She said, boy, if he was in Samaria, you know, there's a guy that could take care of that. And he, and, uh, he decided he was going to try to find out, and his king sent him. And if you can only imagine when his king sent a letter to the king of Samaria and said, here's my servant, I'm sending him, and I'm sending, now you can heal him of his leprosy. And the king of Samaria was just stricken. He said, he must be trying to pick a fight with me because he knows I can't do that. I don't have that power. And then we see Naaman, when he's told Elisha sends word, and he says, come here and I'll, I'll take care of you. And we see Naaman pull up in front of this cottage or whatever it was, got all his chariots, got all his soldiers, got all his money that he's ready to give, and Elisha doesn't even come out. He just sends word through his servant, and he says, just go out there and tell him dip seven times in the River Jordan. Simple. Anybody can do it, but that's not what he wanted to do. Pride. His pride got in his way. And when his pride got in the way, the Bible tells us that his anger showed. He became angry. That's one of the problems that goes along with pride. That was one of the problems, as I look at my little story, that, that almost got me. When she started telling me about my lawnmower and how I need to take care of it, I, man, I almost got mad at that woman. 
I just almost did. And I thought of a whole bunch of things that I needed to tell her about how I've been mowing for about all my life and about how I, I can look at oil and I can tell you, I, I had all these things that I, that I really wanted to say. You know what? I, I kind of choked those back and I'm glad I did. But I'm telling you, my, my heart wasn't right at that moment. Pride was about to get a hold of me and it was screaming in my head, you need to do something about this. You need to set her straight. I think Naaman was thinking the same thing. You know, many times pride can sneak up on all of us. Just in the course of a day, we can be in the best mood and one little thing go wrong and we're ready to get somebody told. Have you ever done that? Surely not. Surely you've never been driving down the road and somebody cut in front of you and you, and you just very nicely said, go ahead. Surely you've never gunned it and whipped around them and then whipped back in right in front of them so that they would be told, and they'll never do that again, I'm sure, so that they would be set straight. Surely you've never been uh, talked too rudely at the cash register. Surely you've never been ignored in the line. Surely you've never had your, uh, your order forgotten and your food didn't come when everybody else's did. Surely that's never happened. And when it does, what happens to you? How do you handle that? You know, we have these things. We have these things that happen all the time in our life. We have opportunities every day to either let our pride get a hold of us in a bad way, or we have an opportunity to control our pride in a good way. And it makes a difference how we respond. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Wow. That's pretty, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's impressive. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And yet, if you think about it, you know, there's some severe cases of road rage where people actually get killed. That starts with a little bit of pride. That starts with somebody getting cut off and somebody getting mad. Where's the problem here? Where's the problem when pride gets a hold of us like that? The problem that I see in my life as I, as I battle this from time to time is my own self-importance or my own seeming self-importance my own position and how I feel like someone is not really respecting my position like they should. They're not treating me the way that I should be treated. I deserve better than that. And this will cause friction and this will cause fights. This will cause words to come out. This causes anger. Pride, the problem is pride like this gets in the way of what we're supposed to be as Christians. That's the real problem. That's the root problem. You know, uh, our first reading, was from Philippians chapter 2. Fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. 
Now that's some words of wisdom right there. That is a way to live right there. And Paul hits the nail on the head, I guess, when he puts this down and he says, this is how you're supposed to do it. This is how you're supposed to do it in the world, and this is how you're supposed to do it in the church. You're supposed to put others ahead of yourself. You're supposed to treat other people as well or better than you would yourself. You're supposed to not just be concerned about your own stuff. You're supposed to be concerned about other people's stuff too. And wouldn't the world be a great place, a better place, if, if most of us could do that? If the world would take these three verses and live by them? The problem is, most people can't see the reason for doing that. But he tells us the reason. He gives us the answer in verse 5. He said, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. That's a great reason right there. That's the mind of Christ. Putting others ahead of yourself. Being concerned about other people before you're concerned about yourself. The reason that we need to do that and choke our pride down is because Jesus did it. And we're supposed to be like-minded. That's reason enough. But not only that, he goes ahead and he explains exactly how that worked in Jesus' life. And Jesus was equal with God and he was in heaven. And he left that. And he came to earth in the form of a human and not just a human but a baby. And he came not as a rich baby, not as a king baby, not as an heir to a throne, not with a silver spoon. He came as a, a poor common baby. And he came to be a servant and to teach us how to be a servant. And he came to die on a cross. And he came to humble himself and be obedient unto death, even the death of a cross. So, it's a little bit drastic, but um, how does that fit in with being upset about a lawnmower? How does that fit in with being upset about my meal being late? I mean, where's the commonality there? We are to be like Christ, and Christ was the supreme example. Matthew chapter 5 tells us that we are to be salt and light in this world. It's our job as Christians to show Christ to the world. And if the world's going to see Christ, they're going to see it in us, hopefully. And they're not going to see it in us if our pride is in the way and if our anger is in the way and if we're always getting somebody told. And you may think this is just something kind of easy on a Sunday night, but it's very serious and most of us struggle with it from time to time. It crops up in the worst ways. We need to be more like Christ. We need to put away our own self-importance. And then the second part to this that I, that I want to show you is that um, pride, pride has a, we have a problem with it because it, it's telling us that we know what's best. If you look at the story of Naaman, Right after it says that he got angry, he says, Behold, I thought. Now there's the problem. We don't get paid for thinking, right? I thought. So he had this preconceived idea in his mind, and it was all about him being the center of the stage. It was all about him being healed. It was all about the prophet coming out and waving his hands or saying hocus pocus or doing something fancy 
And he saw himself as the center of this story in his mind. And he had it all figured out how this was supposed to look and how this was supposed to work. And when it didn't happen that way, he was so disappointed because he just couldn't figure out how it could work any other way because he thought what was best in his mind. You know, in my little story, I already had it figured out what was wrong with that mower. I already had it assessed, and I took it, and I told him what it was. And when she told me that it wasn't that, that it was just dirty oil, that just didn't sit well with me because that was not what I had figured out. Kind of went against my mechanical wisdom, which is not very much. You know, this, this type of thought process, thinking that we know what's best, thinking that we've got all the answers, thinking that we know how everything should turn out, this is really dangerous, especially when you get into the realm of religion. It's really dangerous, and it, and it happens so often that, that people get a little knowledge of the Bible, and they think they've got all the answers, and they think they're ready to tell everybody what all the answers are. You need to be careful with those thought processes. Luke chapter 18 gives us a little insight to that. In the parable of the Pharisee. It says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week, I give tithes of all I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house, justified rather than the other for everyone that exalts himself shall be abased and he that humbles himself shall be exalted very simple story but it tells some really hard truths it kind of shows a man who is religiously arrogant who is religiously proud who is probably no doubt somewhat of a good man but he takes all his pride in the fact that he has been a good man and he is a good man and he considers himself closer to God than anybody else, better than anybody else. And as he prays to God, he looks down on the rest of God's creation. God doesn't have room for that attitude in his kingdom. That kind of attitude in God's kingdom is not going to serve any good purpose. It's usually going to end up in trouble. James chapter 4 and 6 says, God blesses the proud but he gives grace to the humble. We need to be able to put away our pride and humble ourselves before God. When we think about this pride, when we think about how this should work, and we think about the way that it can sneak up on us, you know, I, I think back to the book of uh, Numbers and in chapter 12 and th verse 3 of Numbers, we find something about Moses, a fact. It says, Moses was very meek above all the men of the earth. Moses, Moses, the great leader of God's people. Moses, who was raised in Egypt to be a, a, a soldier, a leader of men, a statesman. Moses, who went back and led his people out of Egypt. Moses, who held his rod out and the, and the waters parted. Moses, who went up on the mountain 
and brought back the Ten Commandments. Moses, who led the people in the wilderness for 40 years, did all these things. He was the meekest man in the earth at that time. He knew what he was supposed to be about. But yet the interesting thing is if you turn over about six or seven chapters in chapter 20, we find where he had a problem with pride. And we find where God told Moses the people were crying for water again and, and God told Moses, he said, speak to the rock and the water will come out. And so Moses took his rod. God told him to take his rod. He said, take your rod and speak to the rock. Moses took his rod and it says he smote the rock twice. And not only did he disobey God, but he went ahead and he had these words for the people. He said, Here ye rebels, must we bring you water. He put himself on an equal plane with God at that moment. Me and God are going to take care of you. I don't know how many mistakes he made in his life, but that was the big one that kept him out of the land of Canaan. Pride. The meekest man on the earth occasionally would have a problem with pride. Are we Christians today capable of having a problem with pride? I think it's possible. I think we have to be aware of it. I think we have to be on guard against it. One of the worst kinds of pride that we can have is when we, we set ourselves up to be equal with or smarter than God. And you think, well, I would never do that. Look in Genesis 3. Look in Genesis 3 in the Garden of Eden. Look at the story of Adam and Eve. Look at how the snake came to Eve and said, uh, what are you doing? What's God been telling you? And she says, uh, well, there's this tree. We can't eat it. We can eat everything else. We can't eat that tree. And Satan tells her a lie. He says, there's nothing wrong with that tree. The good thing about that tree is it'll make you wise. It says in verse 6, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and it was a tree desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. A very simple thing, taking a fruit off a tree, taking a bite, and yet it was so serious because what she was actually saying at that moment was, God said this, but I kind of want to do this. I kind of think this would be good for me. I don't really understand why God wouldn't want me to eat that. It looks good. I bet that tastes good. The serpent said it would make me wise. Why would God not want me to be wise? I believe that would be good for me. I think I'll go ahead and I'll try it. When we break down our sin, when we break down our shortcomings in this life, many, 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 many times, it gets, comes down to the simple fact that, that we want to do what we want to do, and it really doesn't matter what God said. We either think that we're going to take the chance, or we're going to fix it later, or this is just what I want for now. We kind of pit ourselves against God at that moment when we do that. And that's the seriousness of pride in our life. Pride. 
Pride caused Nebuchadnezzar to become as a wild beast in the field for maybe seven years. Pride caused King Herod to die of the worms, a painful death. Pride will cause us to do things that are foolish and make us look foolish. Pride will cause us to say hurtful things. Pride will cause us to say things sometimes we wish we could take back and we never should have said or would have said under any other circumstances. Pride will damage our reputation. Pride will hurt our friendships. Pride will eventually leave us all alone if it's unchecked. Pride will put a wedge in marriages. Pride does not take into account that at some time we might be the person that needs help ourselves or forgiveness or understanding. Pride tells us that we can make decisions on our own life as well or better than God can. Pride is a proud look is one of the seven things that God hates the most in this world. As we close, you know, I want to go back to my little story there. Um, back to Naaman also. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. When we pit ourselves against God, we're pitting ourselves against someone who has our best interest at mind, who always has our best interest at mind, who is there for us at all times and knows exactly what's best for us and what we need, and he's given us everything that we need to get by. We're saying, I'm smarter than that. But he's given us everything that we need for life and godliness. And you know, when I think about Naaman, he got what he needed, didn't he? He went, and once he finally got his pride out of the way, when you assess that and you look at that, and he did what he was told, he got exactly what he needed. All he had to do was get his pride out of the way, and he's, and he's healed. In my little story, I got exactly what I needed. I got my lawnmower fixed. That's what I wanted. I took it to them because I thought they could fix it in the first place. And then I got mad at them when they told me what was wrong with it. But I got it fixed. And I looked at the bill, and the, you know what? The bill was fair. And it was timely. They got it fixed in a day and a half. I mean, what's to be, what's to be concerned about? What's to be mad about? Pride will make us do some crazy things in this world. We need to make sure that as we live our life story, whatever your story is, you put it in that spot. And you be determined to, at the very least, be like Naaman. Put it aside, work on it, and do better. We're not going to beat it every time. Moses didn't. But we're not going to beat it at all if we don't try. I appreciate your attention tonight. If you uh, are not a member of the church, now would be a great time to make that change in your life. We can baptize you into Christ for the remission of sins, and you can go on your way starting that journey with God tonight. It would be a great time to do that in front of this audience. If you have problems in your life that you need to repent of or you want prayers of or if you want the prayers of this church, now would be a good time to do that as we stand and sing.
They tried, my lord.